we often expect our, we look for a message, you know, to have like three points or something like that. Some passages aren't so easy, easy to say, well, here's three points. Okay, if I did three points, it would probably take us about five weeks to go through chapter 20, three points at a time. And I haven't told you how many points are in this message. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how sharp you are at the end and ask if you... No, I'm just kidding. I'm gonna, I didn't tell you how many points there are because I want you to be discouraged. There's a bunch. So just follow along with me as we pick up where we left off this morning. I think it's important that we think about this because the church, the, the church in the world that we live in today is all about... And I'm not saying that we're all about this, okay? But the church at large is all about success. I mean, some, some churches are all about success and and how do we measure success and how do we know we're making headway and how do we know and they and they base their measure of success on the number of people in a church or the amount of giving or the number of baptisms or whatever it is the measure of success by we've got to come back to God's word and say God's word is our standard let's do what God's word says and let's leave the results in God's hands. Let's measure success by whether or not we're doing what we're told to do. So it's important as we come to the 20th chapter, as we have all throughout Acts, seen what ministry looks like, especially in the early church, what ministry looks like and how Paul did ministry to take some lessons from what he did and practice those lessons, let them challenge our own hearts, our own thinking about how we do ministry as a church. Certainly, as I noted this morning, there are lots and lots of books. We could fill libraries with books about church growth and ministry and how to do it and what effective ministry looks like. But I want to go to the book, God's Word. I always want to make sure that we're going back to the book. Ministry that's driven by the latest fads, or what may look like successful ministry by man's standards and opinion is not the way God measures ministry. God measures ministry by what he has taught us in his word, what he has instructed us in his word, and whether or not we're obeying what he's taught us and what he's given us in the book. So what what does the Bible say about ministry? Our study here in the book of Acts has been a great help to us in understanding what the what the church is to do, how the church is to function, and the 20th chapter is no less so helpful. It is very helpful for us. So today as we've been looking at the 20th chapter of Acts, we've seen earlier already today several marks, and we've observed several things from the way Paul did ministry, several ways he modeled ministry for us. There are several helpful insights to be gained about Christ-centered, biblically-based ministry from the life of Paul here in Acts 20. This morning we noted these things that Paul was carrying. Ministry is not ministry if if it is at its basic part, in its most basic parts, not caring and not caring for people and loving toward people. It uh, It is to be sacrificial. Paul was very sacrificial in the way he gave of himself, of his time. He gave of himself sacrificial, sacrificially. Paul's priority. What was Paul's priority? It was the word, right? We talk about loving a God and loving people often, don't we? And, and certainly we see that in the caring aspect. His, 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 um, his priority was, of course, the word, wasn't it? It was always preaching and teaching God's word to people. Paul's walk was alone for a period of time. We saw where he traveled alone. I can only imagine what Paul was doing, and I would imagine that from what we see of Paul in the Scriptures, he was probably spending some time with the Lord in prayer while he was walking. 
And what is a reminder for us that we need time alone with the Lord. We need to spend time alone with God in prayer and the study of His Word. We will not be able to ministry effectively as individuals, and the church won't be what it should be if, as individuals, we are not in God's Word alone, spending some time alone, quietly, away from all the busyness of life and how easily we are distracted by the busyness of life. But we will not be what we should be if we are not alone with God at times in prayer and the study of His Word. I think the example we see here of Paul getting alone, and of course we see this, the example of Jesus Christ in the New Testament as well, when he got alone. If Jesus needed to get alone and pray, you know what? So do we. Um, I take that very seriously. If Jesus, God's Son, God in human flesh, needed to get aside and pray, I think we need to do even. More, I need to do that even more so. Um, that's the challenge to my heart. I hope it is to you as well. We noted also that Paul didn't go it alone. He spent some time alone, but he didn't go it alone. He didn't do ministry by himself. He didn't work by himself. He rejoined the others. We also noted that Paul planned. He was very very methodical about some things. He made sure he planned. And we don't go about ministry haphazardly. We look for the plan in God's Word. We follow the plan that we find in God's Word. But it's helpful for us to project and say, this is what we plan to do. doesn't mean we always get to do what we plan to do, but certainly Paul planned. And then, of course, he was... A minister who was humble, his humility was evident, and um, and um, he modeled humility for us, for those he ministered to and with. And um, he's a great model for us of, of what a humble minister is. We cannot have too many humble people in in the ministry, in the church of Jesus Christ. We all need a measure of humility. We all probably need more than we have. Um, I can't help but go back to the book that we've been passing around, and I have that book. I don't have it in my hand here, but I have that book by C.J. Mahaney called Humility, and if somebody would like that, I'd like to lend it out again if anybody hasn't read that yet. Um, it's, it's passages of Scripture that I come to that, are brought, that, are re, that I'm reminded of that are brought back to my attention as I'm reading a book like that that reminds me of how little humility I have. And we need reminders like that to remember that a true ministers for Jesus Christ are people who know what humility is and know how to practice it and, and, um, and don't think too highly of themselves. Paul did not. He also didn't hold back. He wasn't fearful of men. It challenges my heart because as I told you this morning, sometimes I'm fearful of men. Sometimes I think maybe I shouldn't say this that way because I'm afraid of what people might think. You know what? Paul wasn't afraid of men, and it got him in some trouble at times, didn't it? Because there were those who said, we don't want to hear what you're saying. We're going to you know, throw you in jail. We're going to bind you. We're going to throw you out of town, whatever it might be. We need to have a fear of God, don't we, and not speaking his truth and how, and how timely it is for us to remember that Paul didn't hold back. He wasn't fearful about what others thought of him when he was speaking the truth. Of God's word. It doesn't mean we're abrasive and offensive. It doesn't mean we go cram it down people's throats. That is not what I'm saying. But to speak the truth in love is what's required of us. So that's where we were this morning. Let's start with verse 20 again. We read it at the close of our study this morning. Go back to verse 20 with me in Acts 20. And let me read verse 20 again. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. 
I want you to note here Paul's public ministry and his private ministry. Paul taught in public and he taught in private. Verse 20, he taught publicly from house to house. Uh, publicly and then from house to house. He taught in settings where there were large groups of people. We see it earlier in this passage where he was teaching larger groups of people. He wasn't afraid to go to people's homes and teach them there either. He went from house to house in more intimate settings and homes. It reminds me of our need for our regular times of being taught God's Word. We need the times like we have tonight, like we had this morning, when we gather together and we're taught God's Word. We need those times in a larger corporate setting of worship. We also need times of intimate fellowship with a handful of people when we get together and study God's Word. We may or may not have a lot of opportunities to do that, but we need to take advantage of the opportunities we have, especially with our families, don't we? We need to make sure that those of us who have families, and I'm pointing at myself here because I need to do this, but those of us who have families, we need to make sure that we're studying the Scriptures together as families. We need to take responsibility for that. That's a, a very serious aspect of being a family, that we are studying God's Word together and allowing it to influence our hearts and lives and our thinking so that we will be biblically based in our thinking, in our approach to this world that we live in. So Paul's ministry was public and it was private. He also testified to Jews and Greeks. He wasn't picky about who he preached the gospel to. He didn't pick and choose. He'd go, well, you know, I like that guy. I'm going to tell him about Christ. That one, he's a troublemaker. I'm not going to talk to him. He didn't do that. He he testified to the Jews and Greeks. Look at verse 21. Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to note that too. But first of all, he testified to Jews and Greeks. Paul's ministry wasn't only to Jews. He testified to the Greeks as well. Effective ministry, which is what he is modeling for us. Effective ministry reaches out to all kinds of people. And... And I've been around long enough, not very long compared to some of you, not that you're all that old, but I've been around long enough to see some strange people, right? And you're looking at me and you're going, there's a strange person, right? But we've been around long enough to see some strange people compared to what we're used to. And, And we may have opportunity to run into people who we may think are strange, right? Maybe it's, I don't know, hairstyle or clothing or the way they talk or or I don't know what it is, whatever it is we think that makes people different from us, we had better get over it because God wants us to give the word to all people. The gospel is for everyone. And we had better be very careful that we don't pick and choose who we give the gospel to because that person that you might look at and go, well, that guy's a strange bird, might be the one God wants you to witness to. Might be the person that God wants you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. Effective ministry isn't just about sharing the gospel with those kinds of people that we really identify with or or really like. Certainly God will use us in the areas of of where we're especially gifted or areas we we enjoy. It might be an area of a hobby or something like that that God might use us. But when God gives us opportunities to witness to people who may seem very different than we are, the gospel is it's not up to us to pick and choose about who we share the gospel with. Effective ministry is just about sharing the gospel with people who need the Lord. And they're all around us, aren't they? They're all around us. It's about sharing it with all people and not being discriminatory about who we share the gospel with, right? 
Paul wasn't discriminatory about who he shared the gospel with. He didn't discriminate. He didn't say, well, I'm only going to tell the Jews, or I'm only going to tell the Greeks, or I'm only going to tell those whom I like or who do nice things for me. If we want to be the kind of church that pleases the Lord, we'll minister to anyone who walks through that door. We'll minister to to try to help meet the needs physically and spiritually of people who walk through those doors, and it won't stop at those doors. We'll leave this place, and we'll go into this community, and the the neighbors that we rub shoulders with, whether 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 they're easy to like or not, we'll share the gospel with them because Jesus Christ died for them too. Paul testified to the Jews and Greeks. I want you to note, too, also in verse 21, he preached repentance and faith. Note the content of Paul's preaching in verse 21. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul preached repentance and faith. We turn from unbelief to faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of, you know what, you need to repent because you're a sinner, And you need to have faith in Jesus Christ because he gave himself for you. That's the message we need to share with people. And when we share that with people, that is is the message that they need to hear so that they can turn to Jesus Christ in faith. The word for repentance in the original language says, John MacArthur, is a rich and important New Testament word meaning to change one's mind or purpose. To turn from, to change one's mind or purpose, to turn from that sin. It describes a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. It's, it is the act, conscious act of a sinner turning from his sins to God. You know, there, there are some who preach what they call the gospel, but they leave out the repentance part. They say, just trust Jesus. Just come to Jesus. You know, he gave himself for you. Just trust Jesus. You know what? We need to be telling people that they need to repent of their sin too. Because there are some people who are trusting Jesus and continue to live the way they've always lived. They don't think they need to repent of anything. I've had conversation with people who argue with me. I'm not a sinner. I haven't done anything wrong. And I go, wait a minute. Have you ever lied? Well, yeah, but that doesn't count. You know, or it's like, wait a minute. That's sin. Repentance and trust in God, trust in Jesus Christ. Repentance to God and trust in Jesus Christ. Paul preached that, repentance and faith. It's it's another reminder that the gospel is what we preach and teach and share with others by our witness as well. Does your witness help people understand that they need to repent? Does your life lived out help them understand that you need to repent? Have you ever, and, and I... And I think this is a good illustration of, of, a, of a witness helping people to see, by the way that you live, a witness by your life, helping people understand that they need to repent. Have you ever, maybe in the workplace, in the neighborhood, said something that you wished you had not later, or done something towards your neighbor that you thought later, oh, that was wrong, and then got on your feet and walked to that person and said, what I said earlier... Such and such, that was wrong. And I want to apologize. Would you forgive me? <laughs> you know what? They, they might die of a heart attack right there. Because most people in this world aren't used to that kind of treatment. And there's an opportunity for you to demonstrate God's forgiveness toward you and them by your willingness to humble yourself and say, you know what I said was wrong. And I want to repent of that. Just will you forgive me for saying that to you or doing this thing, whatever that is. Look for opportunities like that. Certainly we don't. We want to create opportunities like that, but when that happens, we want to make sure that we're modeling what Jesus Christ does for us. 
when we go to Him and ask for forgiveness, when we trust in Jesus Christ, repentance for sin and faith in Jesus Christ is what, what people need to turn from sin and know God's grace. Paul was all about preaching repentance and faith. I want you to note, too, that he knew trouble was coming. And when he knew trouble was coming, he didn't back down. He went anyway. Verses 22 and 23, look at them with me. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except, verse 23, that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Whoa. Chains and tribulations await me. Ministry isn't always easy. We noted it earlier today, didn't we? Ministry isn't always easy. There aren't always easy people to deal with. There are some people who are difficult to deal with. And sometimes things can be very difficult in ministry. But Paul knew when there were things coming his way that might be difficult, but it didn't cause him to shut down and back off and run away, did it? Paul knew the price, but willingly went to Jerusalem anyway, didn't he? What a challenge to us when we face difficult circumstances in sharing our faith with others to say, you know what? Jesus Christ died on the cross. This is a very small thing for me to overcome in comparison, right? Ministry will not always be easy, but I think we we find out what our faith is made of when we face difficulties the difficulties of ministry and press on and remain steadfast or wilt and run away, right? We find out what our faith is made of when we're facing those difficult circumstances and keep our trust in the Lord and press on in faith and in ministry or when we get fearful and shrink and fall back and and run away. We find out what our faith is made of and whether we really are truly trusting the Lord or not. Paul knew there was trouble coming, but he pressed on anyway. What a challenge to us, yes? He was steadfast as well. Verse 24 says this, But none of these things move me, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel, the grace of God. He says, but none of these things move me. I want you to note this from from Paul. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Listen, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Isn't that precious? How many times have you faced discouragement? How many times have you faced difficulty and trial and trouble and you've been encouraged by God's Word, encouraged by what you know to be true from the Scriptures, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord? Paul wasn't a quitter. He he modeled steadfastness for us. He was able to say, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. He was able to do that because he was in ministry for the long haul, wasn't he? He wasn't in for the quick in, quick out, and I'll you know, insert the truth and run really quick. You know, He was in ministry for the long haul. And Paul wanted to finish well. He wanted to finish his race with joy. His ministry was to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And he was steadfast because he wanted to finish well. And he was steadfast because his ministry was worthwhile. You know what? You're in a worthwhile ministry. 
when you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever it is you are doing as a part of the work that you are involved in here, helping advance the cause of Christ, you are in a worthwhile ministry. And Paul knew that he was in a worthwhile ministry, so he was steadfast. What he was doing mattered for eternity. When you know what you're doing for Jesus Christ, it matters for eternity. Do you, do you see any results? You may not. But it matters for eternity. Be steadfast like Paul. And because his perspective was on eternity, he was able to say goodbye too. Note this in verse 25. And indeed now, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. That must have been hard. Paul understood that this was his last meeting with the Ephesian elders. He could say farewell to them, knowing he had done right by them, as we see in verses 26 and 27. It's it's hard to say goodbye, isn't it? But he was able to, when he needed to, be encouraged. When the Lord is in a change, you will be able to face it. It might be hard, but you'll be able to face it with the strength of the Lord. Paul was able to do so. And he could say farewell to them, knowing that he had done right by them. Look at verses 26 and 27, where it says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. How had he done right by them? What do you see in verse 27 that tells you what he had done right by them? What he had done right. What does verse 27 tell us about he, he did them right? He told them about God, didn't he? He did, not, he did not hesitate, for I have not shunned, or I have not hesitated to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He preached the whole counsel of God's Word. Paul preached the whole counsel of God. He didn't pick and choose the parts that he liked best. He didn't pick and choose the parts that might be the least offensive. He taught it all. He didn't teach his opinions or amuse them with stories. He, he taught the whole counsel of God and how we need this in our church today, don't we? As every other church in this land needs, we need to teach and preach the whole counsel of, God's, of, of God without reservation. How we need this in the world we live in today. How churches need this. How we need this in our church. We need to make sure that we're teaching and preaching and abiding by the whole counsel of God. We do not want to be a church that waters down the teaching of God's Word. I don't want to be a part of a church that waters down the teaching of God's Word. I don't want to be a part of that. And I I hope you don't either. We must be faithful to teach God's Word. We must be faithful to teach all of God's Word. And Paul had a very good conscience in in this regard. He was guiltless in regard to this. He had not failed to teach the whole counsel of God. Now, I want you to note something else that's interesting here. He addresses these elders. He's still speaking to the elders here. He addresses them as shepherds. Verse 28, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. 
Paul's still speaking here to the leaders of the church at Ephesus. He points out their responsibility to take heed to themselves and to all of their flock. Watch your own lives and shepherd the flock. A shepherd must first make sure that he is living what he is teaching. I'll say it again. A shepherd must first take heed that he is living what he is teaching. How convicting it is to me when I come to God's word and I study and I prepare and I go, Whoa, Lord, what conviction on my heart. It ought to be true of all of us. When we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, we ought to have an attitude of obedience. But these things I'm sharing with you, I'm willing to obey God in these as well. And I may not be perfect, but I'm striving to, to be an obedient child of God and an obedient lamb in God's flock. If we want to minister God's way, then we must practice what we preach. We must live what we say we believe. You know what? The world knows what you say you believe. The world knows what you say you believe. And if you don't live it, they're going to know that too. And they're going to point it out to you. And they're going to say, you say this, but you don't do it. We see it all over, don't we, these days, especially recently. When, 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 a, when a pastor falls, the world surrounds and says, look, look, you know, hypocrisy, right? We don't want to defame the name of Christ, do we? We don't want to bring shame on the name of Christ or on his church. We had better be living what we're preaching and teaching. The world is watching. And then Paul notes why this is so important. Why is this so important? Well, He goes into the next few verses and warns against false teachers, verses 29 through 31. Look at them. For I know this, that after my departure, and um, he uses this language and and isn't bashful about it either, that he calls them savage wolves. For I know this about false teachers. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. What a picture here of those who would come and do harm to God's church. Verse 30, also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul knew that there was danger ahead for the church. False teachers would appear from outside and inside the church as well. And it's a problem we still face today, isn't it? We still face this today, and we must be on guard against false teachers. That's why it is so critical that we each study God's Word and know God's Word. And for each of us to be adding God's Word to our lives so that we recognize those things that are not true. There's a lot of untruth in the world that we live in. And if we're not careful, it'll be in the church too. Paul warned about that, actually. And we need to be very careful. That's why we each must know God's Word. So he warned against false teachers. It was important. That's why he called them shepherds. He said, shepherds guide the flock. Remember, there are false teachers. You'll see them. You'll find them. Know the truth. I want you to note this as well. He emphasized the importance of God and His Word, right? Just like we're talking about right now. Verse 32, he says, So now, brethren, 
He brings them back and he says, here's the foundation. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul commends them to God and to the word of his grace. And that is what is going to build us up. God's word. God's gracious word. God and his word is going to build him up. We need the Lord and we need his word in our lives. We need his Holy Spirit at work and we need to pour the word in. Note how God worked in Paul's life. His heart was in the right place. Why? Well, because I see in verses 33 and 34 that he was ministry motivated and not money motivated. Verse 33, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands, can you see them there? These hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. See, Paul wasn't driven to, to ministry for material gain. And for the minister who is driven to ministry for material gain, he should have his head examined, right? Because you're not going to get rich in ministry. And if we're true, faithful followers of Christ, we may never be rich by this world's standards because we're constantly giving it away and helping others in need, right? But Paul wasn't driven to minister for material gain. He wasn't in it for the money. He had, he had worked very hard for his own necessities. And even for those who were with him, he had helped provide and he had helped work and, and provide for his own needs. He didn't, he didn't work hard to live lavishly either. He didn't work hard and, and overdo it to live lavishly. He worked hard for what he needed and he was content with that. Oh, how the church of Jesus Christ needs to work for what we need and then be content with what God provides, yes? We see in 1 Timothy 3.3 that a pastor is not to be driven by money, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. Lots of things there, but it also mentions that you're not to be a pursuer of money. And none of God's people should be motivated by money either. It's something that we need to keep in check. So Paul wasn't ministry, he was not money motivated, he was ministry motivated, and so should we. We should be motivated by what will be accomplished by our faithfulness in Jesus Christ because of the advancement of the gospel, because of our faithfulness, and not because of an illicit motivation. Now I want you to note too that Paul was concerned for the weak. Verse 35, I have shown you, verse 35, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, Paul was concerned for the weak and those who were needy. And Paul also mentions helping the weak in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, where he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Always remember that our ministry is to all people. It goes back to what we stated earlier, that he was willing to minister to anyone that he came across. He was willing to minister to everyone who had need. Always remember that our ministry is to all people, helping those in need, ministering to people in their area of need, both physical and spiritual. Sometimes we have opportunity to help meet physical needs. But we don't do that to the neglect of spiritual needs, do we? 
It's important that we minister to the whole person. There are some times when people will come in into our midst and, and, and you, can, you just know they have needs. And to look the other way and say, well, listen to the gospel. Let me give you the gospel, but we're not going to help you with your physical needs would be sinful. And we need to be careful about that. He was concerned for the weak. We can learn from his, his example here. Now verse 36, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. Prayer. Prayer is so important for us as a church. Paul understood the importance of prayer, and he took time to pray with the Ephesian elders. Our ministry, as, as we minister for Jesus Christ, our ministry is nothing if it is not bathed in and saturated with prayer. Our ministry is nothing if, it all, if it's all energy and excitement and doing and activity and there's no prayer. There ought to be more prayer, really. There ought to be more prayer in, in many ways than there, are of, than there is active you know, activity and excitement and doing and, and, um, and different programs and such. We ought to bathe this ministry in prayer. When we do, I believe God's blessing will be on what we, what we do. When we begin with prayer, when we saturate the work in prayer, when we're faithful to, to cover God's work here in prayer and ask for His guidance and His wisdom, then when we go to work, I think God will bless that because we haven't gotten a cart before the horse, so to speak. When we rush into ministry and we try to do, 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 and then we go, oh, I'm really struggling. I think I'll pray about this. It's backwards, isn't it? Although we tend to do that, do it that way. I know I tend to do it that way. It's easy for me to go, oh, I've got all these things I have to do. Let me do these things. And then I go, whoa, Lord, I'm overwhelmed. Help me. And it ought to be, Lord, help me with these things. And give me wisdom about what things I should do and how I should do them. And please bless this work and bring great glory to your own name. Prayer is so important. Praying together, praying for each other, praying for those in need, praying for their spiritual needs and physical needs both. We need prayer. Now I think it's interesting to see how Paul was loved by those he ministered to. Verse 37 says this, Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. I think it's interesting how those he ministered to loved him and were more concerned with his teaching going with him than anything else. Did you see that? Sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more. You're going to be gone. We won't hear your teaching anymore. We won't hear your admonishment. We won't hear your correction from God's word, your instruction. They knew they needed it. Yeah, I think he'd been successful in helping them understand what they needed. You see, ministry may not always be easy. It may, it may even be very costly, but there are many rewards that come with ministry. We see, too, the affection the Ephesian elders had for Paul. It's one of the rewards of ministry. When you're shown affection, when you experience the love of those you minister to. You know what? When you're faithful to invest in the lives of others and you give and you're not selfish and you care for the needs of others, you're going to find that they show you affection in return. It's either with their words or with their actions they may show you 
great thanks for the work that you have done on their behalf for their spiritual well-being. Well, to sum up Paul's model for ministry, and there was quite a list that we see in the 20th chapter of Acts here. To sum up Paul's model for ministry, we see that he was not self-serving. He was caring, very sacrificial, very humble, completely steadfast, very concerned for the weak. He was watching out for the weak. He wasn't in ministry for personal gain. He ministered to glorify God. He ministered to glorify God and exalt Christ and to make his name known. And we see this from his firm commitment to teaching and proclaiming the gospel. The ministry of the word and prayer was his priority. The ministry of word and prayer. He taught the whole counsel of God's word. And his example is one we need to follow, isn't it? And I hope that you're challenged and encouraged at the same time. That yes, we have a monumental task to do ministry like Paul did ministry, but yet we have the work of the Holy Spirit within us and upon this work to help us minister as Christ would have us minister for God's glory. Yes? Would you stand with me tonight? Let's close with a word of prayer. Let's once again go to God in prayer and ask for His help and His wisdom And I want to encourage you, as I did this morning, will you pray with me in the days ahead, asking the Lord to help us to minister in a way that is Christ-honoring, that brings great glory to God, ministry that is founded on and based upon God's Word, not selfishly, not for personal gain, not for for fame in this community, so that we will be well-known, although we want to be for God's glory. Would you pray with me in the days ahead as we pray tonight? You think about that. Let's pray together now. And you pray with me in the days ahead that we would be the ministry that God wants us to be. Father in heaven, we need your help. And we are so thankful that you have given us the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ to encourage, strengthen, and give us your wisdom. Lord, we know that there's something we have to do. There's something we must do, and that is yield to you in the work that you want to do in our lives and in your church. Lord, help us to be yielded to you. Help us to be people of the book. Help us to remember that we we measure ministry and effectiveness of ministry by whether we are truly being obedient to your word and we leave the results in your hands. Lord, help us to remain steadfast and, and, uh, faithful and steadfast for as long as you tarry. Lord, I pray that you would make the, the ministry here that we are involved in very fruitful for your honor and glory, pointing souls to you and bringing people to Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.